selling me some Krabby Patties at my Burger Shack under the sea. Let's feed your please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. And I am immensely disappointed that you are not using a fucking Starship Troopers. <laughs> some war report on terrorism, and if I want to know more as the opener, shame on you. I'm your co-host, Peter. I, I was giving you the space. I wanted you to have that reference to use, Peter. That's my regard for you. Is I took the crappy SpongeBob reference, thinking to myself, you know what? My co-host, my compadre, over all of these years, over hundreds of episodes, he deserves to make that joke. And then you just took a steaming dump all over me. I have Look a podcast you. I'm not here to create. I'm here to critique and tear down other people's work. Yeah, speaking of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, that's a great pivot. All right. So uh, we've got a discord, which I very frequently forget exists, but I was driving on a long road trip and I actually looked down at it and uh, there was some discussion about Picard season three's announcement trailers, which well, San Diego Comic-Con was just going on this past week. Lots of news. Most of it I don't care about the one I do care about. Is that Orville's going on Disney Plus? And if you're not watching Orville, you need to give it a shot. Get them eyeballs on there. But all this Picard season three stuff comes out. Uh, I personally could give a shit. Like two bad seasons. I, I, I don't care what glass you're breaking to get access to the nostalgia to try and pump some money out of there. Whatever. Yeah, that, that coin no longer spends in this realm. You had your shot. I mean, maybe if it's fucking super amazing and I hear it on the street, I'll I'll give it a shot the way that I'm supposed to be watching Strange New Worlds, which knowing that that second episode's supposed to be the bad one, I just I have not found it in myself to go for it, man. I, I think it's bad, although some more of the cynical fans that we have that have watched it really like that episode. I fucking hated it, but that's because I just hate Aurora. So that's mm. like- the, one of her like episodes. So we, we led to some pretty interesting discussions and there was like, you know, talk of virtue signaling coming out of uh, Kurtzman and, you know, is he out to make good Trek? Is he out to just stunt and try and pad his own resume for California there or whatever? But sparkly 1982, who I do not know from the Facebook group. So that's that's just the name we're going with here, had an interesting comment. And it was that uh, Kurtzman's tendency for virtue signaling uh, or the studio laying backlash for any poor ratings it gets on the door of uh, of ne'er-do-wells on the Internet uh, is it might be a valid one. And they kind of go into to say a little deeper. I, I think it needs to be said that some of the loudest complaints on modern Trek do seem to come from a place of misogyny, racism, LGBTQ plus phobia. Uh, when in fact there are way more valid reasons to critique Picard in particular. And it really got me thinking the importance as the internet continues to grow, social media access, once upon a time was just 4chan, that's where you're seeing nasty stuff. Now it's it's everywhere, Twitter especially. And, and you can see in the news a number of Twitter bots and stuff like that out there. I think it's very important that you as a consumer of media understand and trust the circle you're turning to for reviews, critiques, praise, and condemnation, because there's a lot of bullshit out there 
that needs to be just viewed for what it is. And it's, it's weaponized propaganda to either try to boost product uh, or to try to explain away the failure. You can have a hundred people say, Hey, you know, I kind of liked, or I, I didn't like this thing for uh, these structured valid reasons. And then you have one guy say, well, I didn't like it because the main character is black, or I didn't like it because there was a gay person involved. And now you've given so many uh, sites spinning out in defense. People are attacking this simply based on phobiaism reasons. Believe it or not, Red Letter Media clocked this clean probably six years ago uh, with Ghostbusters. So we all we all remember the Ghostbusters from like 2016. That was the all female reboot Ghostbusters, like Kate McKinnon, uh, Kristen Wiig. It was a Feige production and it wasn't good. It was in fact pretty poorly assembled film. Not very funny. Uh, lacked the, the energy of the original uh, comedic Ghostbusters film to, to say the least, but it, I think it became a famous cultural touchstone because criticism of it was characterized as is solely being about the fact that it was a full female cast reboot of the franchise and that any criticism of it was thus entirely invalid misogynistic. And the red letter media guys did a whole takedown of like, we did an analysis of every single YouTube comment on all of the ghostbusters, like official media on YouTube and found and like looked at like the historic archive before they deleted things and like actually counted the amount of comments that said something like that versus all of the other comments that had something else to say and pointed out like very few people actually had that criticism. Most people who hate your product hate it because it was bad. You decided as a marketing ploy to focus on this bad faith criticism because it allowed you an angle to promote your film as as uh, supporting it as some, some sort of social good. That was the first time I think I've seen that tactic used. It was successful in its own strange way because it allowed the film to do well right out of the gate, but then it fell apart because it was shit. And now you see that more and more with franchises, pop culture, tentpoles, films, TV, where cultivating bad faith criticism on purpose is part of the marketing ploy. Like, oh, I, I pissed off enough neckbeards that I inevitably got to say some stupid shit about it. And now I can use that. Now it's somewhat true and I can word it in a certain way. And also, I mean, who's double checking articles from BuzzFeed? Who, who's holding any of these guys accountable? <clears throat> what I'm getting to is that in doing this podcast and having the trauma support group and having the discord, uh, it's nice to have an expanded pool of people out there to talk about Star Trek that aren't just complete randos on the internet. Right. And, yeah, and that's the best are, part of doing the show, quite frankly, has been building the community that we have to actually talk about this stuff. And they, they've stayed cool the entire time. And everyone's like on the same page with this is a good faith. This is a good faith criticism area. You know, there's a lot of disagreements. It's always brought reasonably. Nobody's swinging for anybody's face. And when people do say stuff, that's an outlier. I go, OK, well, this is somebody I, I see a posting history of. I understand them. And, and I can see where it's coming from. It's not just 
everybody's having a conversation. Then someone comes in and, and drops some real raw, crazy stuff out of the blue that I've never recognized before. Uh, because marketing is dirty as fuck. And there are people out there who do go out just to stir the pot, to get those screenshots, uh, social engineering. I used to ever tell you about my uh, my little side gig, my dirty side gig back in college. This dude uh, I was friends with, he got headhunted by a marketing company that worked for Sony. And then he got me a job with it. And before E3, they would hire us to go plant stories and build hype on message boards for upcoming Sony products. And we had to go in, hijack threads, create new posts, all the stuff. There's like a whole list of criteria, screenshot it. And everyone we did, we got a bounty on it. And the more successful the thread, the more the bounty. Oh, right. And that was like, most- what, a, what a scam. What a scam. Yeah, well, you know that. <laughs> what a beautiful scam! I wish I could have been. I wish I could have done that scam. Well, it, let me tell you sometime about the uh, nine eight nine studios tournament scam we ran. Oh God! <laughs> that, some, that'll, some, that'll be some Patreon content. That what we did yeah. there might have actually been illegal. I don't know. <laughs> some mid two thousands realness here for yeah. you. We did a lot of dirt. Things just, I was going to say just to get that uh, free network adapter for the PlayStation 2, but I think we actually got a we stole we we connived a free trip to Hawaii out of that, although I got blocked out of that by his what would become his wife, which I'm still stink about. Uh, but anyways, I mean, people are out there doing dirty shit. People are out there getting paid to do dirty shit. Uh, and there's a lot of money in these TV shows and movies and don't think marketing companies are out there just trying to sway poison. Uh, community boards, Facebook groups, and all that stuff. We see this shit all the time in Star Trek, though. I mean, how many times have we looked at the universe of Trek podcasting and Trek social media accounts and not seen just scam written everywhere? Like, who is the actual audience for this? Who is really listening? Like, who is really looking to this and following this this has to be the creation of somebody who is being paid to 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 be the bag man for this. You know, mm-hmm. you see it all the time. You can smell it. You can feel it in the ether. The, uh, the authenticity has an odor to it. It's pleasant and, and inviting and warm. And it On the Internet, in. yes, until you're at a convention and then that authenticity yeah. is usually B.O. Which... Yeah, that's true. It's real and you can smell it and it's terrible and you want to vomit. But it's still real. But like the the, the shills, you also, that also has an odor and it's very distinct. It's very acrid. Speaking of all these nasty smells, and I know we're already at 12 minutes here, but it, it, it's worth mentioning. I'm going into a dirty place this weekend, Joe. Where are you going? Uh, I found out about a. You remember Star Trek Art? Not Star Trek Art, but Artemis, the the bridge yeah, yeah. simulator. No, of course you were there's huge con- into that back in the day. <laughs> I know. Well, listen, I found out there's a fucking convention going on about ten minutes away from my mom's house up in Cleveland. Oh, oh I saw that you're going. Yeah, I can't not. It's 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 literally ten minutes. So I'm gonna go up there with my kids, oh, dump them my. off at my grand my uh, my parents' house, and I'm gonna go venture into, I don't know. But <laughs> I think you know. 
<laughs> I think you know exactly I what you're going to turn right around and leave, but maybe I can find my pre-COVID uh, convention fortitude and stick it out and maybe, I don't know, name hey, drop Peter, as, as a man who spends weekends playing in magic tournaments, I can cannot and will not judge you for what you're about to do. Except well, to hopefully say, I can come out with some good stories. We'll I was going to say, bring a full report, plug the podcast. I mean, if you're going to find a willing audience anywhere, it's mm-hmm. going to be there, you know? Only I had some stickers to drop. You know, Kevin's done a lot for us. I'm not going to, I'm mm-hmm. not going to rag him. But uh, things that I do request we talk about is this episode of Enterprise. What is it? Season one, episode 24, Desert Crossing. We were supposed to talk about this last week but we didn't because someone tried to steal your car and that kind of threw a yeah monkey threw me off (laughs) tiny bit everyone's fine by the way including the car mostly very disappointed that this is the episode that has had to sit on the plate for two weeks and also cost me actually watching an episode this week it's been a while since i've watched star trek i listened to our podcast for oh data's mom whatever Mm-hmm. fallen hero you ended that one with pretty high praise of this what were you thinking joe i'm thinking i kind of liked it still oh get the fuck out of here yeah i mean i i think this is a fine little episode of star trek and that's spectacular it's pretty good i you know clancy brown's presence does a lot to like soothe perhaps the 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 rough edges you know he's just so fucking ridiculous clancy (laughs) brown is in a lot of great stuff most notably for me starship troopers uh his role in detroit become human have you played that yet i I haven't asking you you need to fucking watch it or play it (laughs) i mean it's a what it's a quantum dream game you're playing you're watching it even if you're playing it yeah that's that's gonna be some patreon content there um highlander what else is this guy in i mean clancy brown is a is a classic that guy uh he was in the shawshank redemption oh he was he was a security guard shawshank redemption captain hadley the reboot nightmare on elm street he was parallax's voice in green lantern he was in cowboys and aliens as the preacher (laughs) (laughs) it's funny i I was thinking about that movie the other day like they really Thought they had something going there, I think. And they did not. They they had a lot of talent, both behind and in, in front of the camera, and then managed to not make a very good movie, which was quite impressive. impressive. Yeah. Uh, he was obviously Mr. Krabs in uh, uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. Highlander, as you mentioned, as uh, the Kurgan, as the villain. I mean, he's he's been in a lot. This dude has been in and he's a classic that guy. Yeah, he's been in a lot. And unfortunately, this is the worst. And for an actor that I normally enjoy, he was total dog shit in this episode. Dog shit? Dog shit? Dog he's shit. Fine. He's fine. He's a little out of place. It's a little ridiculous. But that's like Clancy Brown. He's just kind of a, a big doofus. So we open up back on track to go to Planet Blowjobs. You might know it as Ryza. They're very excited to get the Planet Blowjobs. They want nothing more than to have those eight-handed masseuses jacking and jilling them the whole time. We got uh, Archer 
packing up. I did like the bag that he's packing. Yeah. His, uh water polo championships duffel bag. It's like nice. it's 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 the classic. I've ca- I've held on to this since I was in college because it's a nice bag, and why buy another one? It's like the most relatable thing I've ever seen in fucking Star Trek. Like I got a bag like that, you know. Yeah, the good old days of Starfleet, back when uh, you could have a bag that could hold stuff, not a fucking metal tube. That's only when you kick off your 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 space hobos and send them to the last Talaxian uh, um, truck stop. You give them a metal tube. But as he's packing up, he gets a little call from the bridge that they are picking up on a distress call. And I thought that was interesting. The moment of kind of contemplation that Archer has. And I think that's one of the cooler things in that expanse, the the TV show, the expanse did detail that it is illegal to ignore a distress call. And if you do ignore a distress call and your crew rats you out, you are super fucked. And that is pretty much across the board of all the different fractions that part of space life is you help out no matter what. Yeah, it's like it, it's a very much a desert uh, life type of part of the equation, right? Like the reason why there's a strong hospitality ethos in desert cultures is because survival demands everyone has to pitch in at a certain level, which means you have to be prepared to help whoever you run across because otherwise you could just die out there. So Archer thinks on it for a second and he goes, all right, we're going to help. And he turns to Porthos and says, sorry, boy, looks like. J.O. Adventure is going to have to wait a little bit and Porthos looks sad and then Archer leaves. And I have to wonder at this point, like, does Porthos just live in Archer's cabin or do you think Archer's cool and like, let's Porthos get out and go play with the rest of the crew? I think he probably like takes him out on walks and stuff. And there's I guarantee you that like Hoshi is it like the backup dog sitter, you know? Of like, if someone needs to take care of of Porthos and like he's going to be off the ship for a while, she's the one that like stops by and like make sure he uses the restroom and he's got food and stuff. I don't know, man. Like, there's only one dog on the whole ship. People are pretty bored. Obviously, they're not having sexist. To Paul pointed out, like, you think? Do you ever go to Boy Scout camp or anything? Yeah, of course. Every year, Camp Dog's the best dog. Absolutely, he's the best friend of everyone there. I, that's got to be Porthos. Like when I was in the fraternity, man, we had a I had a dog and that dog was getting pet and playing and eating pizza and probably drinking a lot of beer. He <laughs> <laughs> was living a really good dog life. Really, really good life. And when you got a bunch of people who don't have pets that want to pet a dog, that, that that dog. I hope I hope Archer let Porthos be ship dog and didn't just hoard him all to himself. Oh, yeah. I, I hope that Porthos is eating a lot of pizza. <laughs> we don't know how much Trip likes pizza. So, you know, mm-hmm. Trip's enjoyment of food ends up being a plot point later. They don't show the rescue, but they show the aftermath. And the, the aftermath is when we are introduced to one Clancy Brown, who's playing a character named Zabral, whose species is human, but with shit on your face. Vaguely Arabic with a bad New York Arab cab driver uh, accent that can do nothing but come off as as racist. Yeah, the, the the species he is supposed to be is clearly supposed to be Bedouin desert people, like right down to the the aesthetic of their dwellings and and food 
consumption style and uh you know the the clothes like all of it is supposed to be bedouin desert people i totally get the vibe they're going for except they didn't really hire many actors that look like they would be that kind of person for this episode instead it's just like you know la casting people you know folks that look good with their shirts off because there's going to be a lot of that yeah i hope you like top gun yeah, we're 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 about to head into the danger zone. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Z- Zabral is because he's played by Clancy Brown. He's very over the top. He's he's he talks in a grandiose way the entire time. He's got a lot of charisma, and he gets rescued by Enterprise. He is grateful, and he says, "I wish to offer you my hospitality. Come have dinner." He's like, I will be very offended if you do not say yes. And eventually Archer is won over by his charm and says, okay, fine. We'll come visit. Also, his ship is terrible CG. It's like some of the worst they've ever seen. Cut back to the fact they don't even show the rescue of this ship. How many more episodes do we have this season? Two. Is there like crazy special effects spectacular waiting for us somewhere? Uh, the finale does have a fair amount, if I recall correctly. I, next week does not. Next week has a lot of sets. I think it's more that expensive episode. A lot of money on the pilot. Yeah. That's like every other sentence in the memory alpha for the pilot, Broken Bow. Yeah, movie level expense. And since then, I have not seen a damn thing that has impressed me. Special effects speaking. Like, even... even all the shitty gunfights, like, yeah, they were low energy and shitty, but like just nothing impressive, nothing visually spectacular. Uh, all the set pieces that we have seen have all seemed very low budget, shitty. And maybe that was what they were going for to like to recapture that TOS feel. But I have a feeling that's not the case. And I don't no, know I... if they just spent all the money up front or what, but it's been a very disappointing season. I think that they probably did spend way too much on the pilot from the sound of it. I mean, these these shows have budgets. They have a, an amount that they can spend to get the whole thing done. You hear about it all the time when you um, you listen to sh- podcast episodes where they interview people who directed TNG episodes, particularly cast members, where there would be these little micro fights over in production of like how much was going to be spent on this episode, how many effects were you for that one, because people wanted to have more access to more money. And if prior episodes were cheaper, it freed up some resources for them, right? Because these budgets, while they're not like set in stone, they are also difficult to justify additional appropriations for. And as someone who works in, you know, this kind of world, like I get probably the the drama that dealt with. So they go and they spend a fucking mint on the premiere because they want the they want to cut off on the right foot. And here we are in the dog days of Enterprise and they don't have that much money left to do effects with. They can't really do over the top stuff anymore. And so they got to kind of be cheap. Well, congratulations. uh, Mission accomplished, including the alien makeup here. Uh, How did this guy? (laughs) The non-existent alien makeup. Hi. Separate these guys from humans for me, real quick. Yeah, they got like weird little little tattoo on their chin and some tattoos on their on their on their chests, and that's yeah, it. Someone took a sharpie and like drew a goatee, but it was like a squiggly artistic goatee, and that's these guys. Not a word out of any of the crew members' mouths about, hey, listen, like 
are these dudes human? What what's going? How did humans get this far? Nope, just they're humans with chin tattoos. Clearly, there has this. Kind of, it's really <laughs> weird. They look exactly like us, right? Like, what is this? Like, not a word. Not a word about the resemblance whatsoever. Like, they're humans, but they spend about thirty five minutes in the makeup chair. Like, what the fuck is this? So. Archer uh, allows himself to get strong-armed into going to dinner. He goes to Trip and says, hey, you should go on this this adventure with me. And Trip's like, yeah, but the desert sucks. We're going to keep talking about this training mission back during Starfleet where I had to eat snake meat. I hate the desert. It sucks. I want to go to Ryza and uh, get a rub and tug. I, I do not want to go to a desert planet. Take someone else. But okay. Maybe I'll go after all. So basically, Archer uses the undefeated method of persuading your bro to do something, which is come on, (laughs) (laughs) right? Works every time undefeated against one's bros, you know, and he does it. So it works. He wants to go to the desert planet with his bro. So he talks him into it. Speaking of cheap special effects, the shuttle pod descends down and we get a sweeping Vista of uh, Planet Kotor One. God, yeah, was what this was like early Tatooine, right? This is early Lucas Arts. No, no, like in Kotor, it's supposed to be like prehistory Tatooine with like that that mining company on, on Zerka Corp. Yeah, of course, Zerka Corp. Yeah, mm-hmm. the bad guy of uh, they're the ones guys. that left the sand the sand crawlers there that eventually the Jawas picked up. I was. That was cool. Back when Star Wars had coherent lore. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of things that won't be released, the remake of that, Womp Womp. <laughs> yeah, I just saw the, uh, the, the shit can that one. Uh, they land. They go in. We get more um, Middle Eastern appropriation thrown at us. Yeah, uh, so they go, they go for the vibe. They've got the little, you know, Adobe-ish, you know, desert uh, buildings. Um, they're eating out of, like... Uh, what looks like a like a wood clay uh, plates. They're using like bread as their utensil. And if you've ever gone to a, like a desert culture and and eaten in a place like Egypt or that sort of thing, this probably seems pretty familiar. You know, they they don't they eat all of the parts of the things. You know, and nothing goes to waste. You that boomer humor as we watch <clears throat> Archer eat balls. The essence of the male. Listen, you get street food in some places. That shit's going to be delicious. Balls can be good. I'm just saying. Well, if you're into balls. Yeah, I like to stick the balls directly in my mouth, but only after they've been seasoned. They have to be seasoned and cooked correctly. And then I just, you wash them around. You really, you really get, I let them fill. I'm I'm glad to hear that. You might want to check out an episode called uh, Vox. Vox Sola. Vox Cum Shot. I think uh, that might be good to, to to watch while you're eating. I, you got to help me with this one. I, I... <laughs> All right. You're the one that so, liked it. Okay. So you know, they're there. They're eating. Uh, you know, they, they make small talk about things. Archer, like, makes a comment of, like, liking the tapestry. He tries to give him one. And instead, he gives him an artifact from a Sulaban, which kind of gets his attention for a moment. And they get to the end of the meal when apparently 
some fucking desert lacrosse is about to get played outside, which they call Gascana. I, at this point, am hoping, 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 if we're going to go to desert lacrosse, tell me you got the guy who played Ayala out there as a stunt double for this. Got to, right? Got to. Please. No. No. Motherfuckers. And there's their cheap, shitty, but late season budgets. They couldn't afford that smoldering catcher money. They could afford to get Trip and an archer to go shirtless and then have slow mo fucking stunts where they're like getting thrown around in this uh, these desert sand dunes. I don't know where they shot it, but it was actually authentically a desert. They are out in the fucking sun on a fucking dune somewhere doing this shit. I'll give them that right. Like. They, they actually shot these stunts like, you know, for actors to go out there and fucking sweat it out like that. OK, cool. But the, then this is when the plot starts to happen, which is uh, the the government of this planet that they decided to go to phones up to Paul and is like, yo, why are your dudes hanging out with terrorists? Bah, bah, bah. So to Paul radios down, says, hey, I need to talk to you. Step off to the side. So this skeezy dude that roped you into going down for dinner, local government saying that he is a terrorist uh, and that you're in a lot of danger. So you should probably come back up to the ship like ASAP. Archer begins uh, making up a little story as to why he and Trip need to withdraw immediately. <clears throat> and I guess the episode does a kind of a good job because I'm waiting for these guys to pull guns and say, yeah, actually, you're a prisoner. And, and, you know, this is going to be how it is. But instead, it's Clancy Brown basically, uh, I don't know, guilt tripping him. The episode does not ever actually go into is Clancy Brown's character a good guy or a bad guy? It instead focuses on the weirdness of the situation that Enterprise finds themselves in. In that they rescued a guy, said, Kay, come down for dinner. And before they know it, they're involved in an, an interstellar incident. And they're involved in, like, a war on accident. And all they did was just show up to have dinner and play desert lacrosse, right? And I thought that was the really cool element of the episode is, and even Hoshi, like, brings it up. Where she's like, what the fuck? This is fucked, man. Like, all we did was just, like, show up because some guy invited us to have dinner. And now we're like running ops to try and like beat these guys as they do bombing runs. So we can save our captain from sudden death and hopefully not like getting shot at. Like, what is this? And I like that, that like, there's no roadmap for this. They didn't think that like, Oh, this guy could be a criminal on this planet that I'm going to. I need to like double check with the authorities. I need to know what the fuck I'm getting myself into. Like all of that. We're following a guy back to his home planet. We're going to go into a geosynchronous orbit while we beam or, you know, go down to the shuttle. At no point do we ever say hello to whatever the, the local government might be. The, the the plot for this is OK on paper. I think it's just hokey and shitty in practice. So I, I can agree that conceptually there's some good stuff going on here. Unfortunately, instead of focusing on these concepts and how they want to go about dealing with it. The agency of Starfleet gets robbed pretty early on because Clancy's like, uh, listen, I know that because we're monitoring your transmissions that you 
were just talking enterprise and enterprise was talking to uh, the government and they say we're terrorists and that you're leaving basically because you're scared, but I got something I want to show you. So well, <laughs> even though you've been told your life's in danger and that I'm a piece of shit, you want to go back to my house? <laughs> we can, I got some wide coolers. I got a GameCube. We can, we can bro out. <laughs> I do agree with the sentiment that you are putting out there, which is, Archer deciding to entertain whatever Clancy Brown wanted to talk to him about seems a little off. Why wouldn't he be like, listen, you're a nice guy. Thanks for dinner. But I'm not getting involved and bouncing. What is clearly hey, you're correct. a nice guy. Uh, you lured me here under false pretenses. If you want to talk, we can do it up on my ship, but I'm not going to be fucking stupid and, and go back to your house and get caught in your fucking rape dungeon or whatever might be waiting for me back there. He ends up going back and Clancy Brown's like, uh, here is what seems like a really sticky, ugly political situation. Yeah. Um, some real like people are being racist at us type of situation and we don't have rights. So we're attacking urban centers and doing stuff that certainly does sound very terrorist like, but that's where you come in. Because I have it under good authority that you just did the super illegal jailbreak for these Sulabong guys from Dean Stockwell's concentration camp. And they told me what a badass you are and how you just love running around and sticking your nose where it doesn't belong and getting violent in situations. And, and that I was love. A- yeah, I love that. Right. I was not expecting being someone who watched seven seasons of certainly. <laughs> Never expected consequences to come into play. I I just thought it was a very clever way to show the space telephone game, right? Because he gets an overblown version of events from people of what happened, right? Like it was thousands and they blew up the fucking whole like military base and all this other stuff. But also that his actions have consequences. This man has a rep now of sticking his fucking dick in other people's mashed potatoes and so somebody who's interested in a big dick showing up and putting it in, in fact, guns in new- hands, space guns in terrestrial hands. Yeah. Like suddenly you're getting sought after by people who are interested in that reputation that you didn't even want to begin with. Again, great idea here. That's why I like this episode is that it's one part. Oops, all we did was show up and have like dinner and now we accidentally involved in some shit. We got to think about our actions, you know, more than kind of the surface level before we get into fucking shit like this. That's an interesting idea for like the first deep space exploration vessel to kind of blunder into. And then second, this is happening because of shit you've done. (laughs) Like these people looked for you. They wanted to do this with you. I mean, this is early uh, Star Trek prehistoric history, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, it's still spaceships. They still have the next door app. And turns out, Jonathan Archer, your Enterprise uh, has a, a little next door rating as well. And I, I like the idea that there wasn't, like, a guidebook for them to follow on 
yeah, before you take an invite to dinner from somebody, you should probably check with the local space authorities to make sure you're not involving yourself in an interstellar incident. Like, I actually think that that plot point makes sense. Yeah, him not leaving right away, like a little like we're going to let the plot happen kind of oopsie doos doodle there. But him showing up to begin with, I mean, like, yeah, fuck it. First contact on the species it finally went well. Yeah, fuck it. Let's have dinner. You know, like that makes a lot of sense to me. There's again on on paper, there's a lot of good stuff here. But if we're going to get the, the plot pen out. Nice sound effect. Yeah, let's see how I'm saving you time. Yeah, I can appreciate it. <laughs> you want sound effects in this podcast? You better bring them yourself. Uh, BYOSFX. So take this this Clancy Brown joke of a character. I mean, basically, this dude's portraying Zangief from Street Fighter 2. He <laughs> <laughs> is. But, but vaguely Arabic. But it's great, though. Why do you hate no, this guy? What's wrong with him? What's actually wrong with him? He's cartoonish. He's over the top. It, it's it's a big, ugly stereotype, and he's such a fucking clown that it's detracting from the story itself. You were, and I'm not saying this is. Oh, let's geez, who was this even? This is uh, aired May eighth, two thousand two. Teleplay by Andre Boramis. Bormanis, Rick Berman, Braga, Boramis is a story directed by David Stradian. I don't know. Somebody, maybe someone told Clancy Brown, act like a fucking stupid rodeo clown. Maybe he came up with that on his own. He's just being a big overacting goofball. Listen, What's ug- you said ugly stereotype. What's what is ugly stereotypical about this? That I, I think that's not actually true. Nothing is negatively stereotyped here. I'm a big fucking white guy, and I'm going to do my worst Aladdin bizarre impression possible. Like, he might as well be the guy that Aladdin steals the fucking bread from. Only it's, it's, it's white guy Clancy. It's fucking Sergeant Zim from Starship Troop. There is a way to have this character appear as respectable uh I, I don't know throw any adjective in there that is not a fucking clown because that's should have he should have like, been played by john reese davies he could have been sala <laughs> well i'm gonna say on record then that john reese davies is a way better actor than fucking clancy brown on this one listen <clears throat> there's a way to put this character in here that works for the freedom fighter angle that they're looking for right there is a great story here about why you don't just drop into a planet unannounced. Some fucking uh, uh, guy in a broken down ghetto sled sent out a distress <laughs> CG call. ghetto sled. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a great story here about the repercussions that happen when you go against Admiral Forrest's orders and insert yourself into... Uh, interspecies conflict that Earth has no part in. There's a great story about why uh, sometimes you just need to nope out and not get involved when there's bitter localized conflicts. There's a lot of pondering, God, how did I bring this on to myself? I think there, and especially with Trip, arguably Archer's best confidant, the guy who should be able to call him on his bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Lots of runway for introspective discussion as to what Archer's really doing out there and the need for caution. Again, maybe the Vulcans are right on some of their first contact protocols. Uh, maybe reviewing back on some of the other misdeeds and nonsense they've gotten involved in, whatever. A lot of opportunity. Instead, uh, throw all that in the trash and 55% of this episode is dude stuck in the desert uh, with heat exhaustion. That is the part that sucks, is that at the halfway through what was an interesting plot, they decided to make it the trip trips not very good at surviving in the desert and apparently Archer is an absolute fucking stud and <laughs> tries to get him through it and it's way too much time on that. Way too much time. There needed to be like like 12 minutes of that max of your runtime. Okay? If you want to do the survival part of the story and you want to like build that as like a B element because Trip didn't want to go and blah blah blah, then go ahead. Do that. But the interesting part of this was this conflict that Enterprise finds himself in partially because they accidentally, like, you know, wandered into it, partially because they invited it through their prior actions, and now they got to extricate themselves from it and also contemplate the consequences of their actions going forward. Like, that is the cool part of it. And then they just de-emphasize it for the entire second half of the episode. And they basically turn that into the B-plot. And you have, like, T'Pol and and Hoshi and Reed dealing with that while Archer and Trip are trying to just not, you know, dive Basically rehashing, was it Strange New World? Where uh, Archer is, remember your training, I'll never steer you wrong. Trust my voice. Take my survival advice. That's an order. All right, Cap. Then then get shot by T'Pol. Okay, good job. Well, I mean, that that's all the same shit that happens here. I wish T'Pol would have fucking shot him. Instead, you know, they're getting long-range artillery strikes. I. It seems like all too often, Trip is part of some sort of buddy duo that's stranded in a shitty situation. This dude needs to learn to just stay in the fucking engineering section. <laughs> that's what he wanted to do. He's bad luck. Trip is bad luck. You do not bring him on vacations. Do not bring him on away team missions or you will be stranded and he will most likely be sick and delirious. Florida men are not meant to survive in the desert. They are a tropical people. We sh- everyone knows this. Come on. But yeah, there's not a lot to talk about for the second half of the episode because unfortunately it's in the desert and it's just the two of them. And I do like Archer and Trip as a duo. They they have a different energy of like main character, like uh, captain and subordinate stuff than we've seen in the past. Like Kirk was best friends with Spock and McCoy, but it was a sort of different kind of, of, of uh, uh, dynamic, you know, where they were peers and they respected each other, uh, but they didn't like bro down. Picard was a distant boss and his whole journey was getting to be closer to his subordinates that, you know, looked up to him so much. Um, You know, fucking Cisco was a religious leader and war leader. So he had a different set of imperatives uh, for him than with anybody else. He had Janeway who was trying to keep two different kinds of crews together to a really challenging situation. So she was part captain, part matriarch. 
and that was her dynamic. And then these two, they're bros. They've been doing this shit together for a long time. One's the boss, one's the you know, subordinate. There's respect there, but like they hang out, drink beer, and watch sports. You know, they're like more classically dudes that hang out. It's Fred for Flintstone and Barney Rubble. Yes, very much. And I like that. I like that it's different. I like the idea of them having to survive a desert experience together. And that Archer is the, you know, showing why he's the boss, really, because he's the one that's more capable. Because he's got plot armor that keeps him from being uh, negatively influenced by the sun. It's not from Florida. You know, they're just they're a weak people. That is fine. But in 20 fucking five minutes of this goddamn episode, it's way too much. You just get bored of it. You're like, yes, I get it. Trip's bad at surviving in the desert. Yes, I get it. Archer's a fucking stud. That's it. There's nothing else to talk about. They find some old abandoned house. I don't know. There's like a jug of piss or something that Archer boils with a phaser. And while he's trying to nurse Barney Rubble back to life, uh, the evil other space guys who are the the evil. I don't know. And I will say it is a good decision, I think, for the episode to not clearly paint one side as villainously evil and the other side as absolutely good. Like, I think there's dirty hands yeah. on both sides, whatever. It's, so, a compl- it's a complex domestic stro- squabble. And like most intense domestic squabbles, there is not an origin point that's clean, you know? Anyways, everyone has something to contribute. Got some fucking long range artillery and they're wasting a lot of ordnance trying to blow up an old shack just because two people might be in there. And at this point, we find out that the local government has basically classified Starfleet as hostile because they did not immediately withdraw uh, when Paul initially warned them. So they're getting fired on. Luckily, about that time. Oh, there's this whole fucking other side thing where somehow T'Pol gets Clancy Brown to come back up on the ship. Even though this dude's camp just got wiped out and he's got his own, like, freedom fighter agenda, they get him to come back up to the ship because he's still under the misconception that... um, Archer's like a great warrior. Yeah. Which, to be fair, looking back on all of our criticism, everything he's assuming at this point that Archer's be like, no, I'm not like that. And, and Reed's like, no, we're not like that. And Paul's like, no, we're not like that. Yeah. You totally are like that. <laughs> this guy's you're not as competent as you, th- this guy, you guys just thinks you're more competent than you are, but he's got your general MO down. Yeah. You stick your dick where it doesn't belong and you kill a bunch of people who had no beef with you prior. Uh, and then Clancy Brown's like, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. And they're like, no, but you're going to stop and help us fix it. And then he's like, OK, let me fly your shuttlecraft. I know the secret Konami code to get through the shields. <laughs> well, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. B.A. select start here for you. We're going to find our crew moments before they're murdered by uh, long distance artillery. Then we're going to strafe it and blow it up and definitely kill some fucking people and, you know, further cement Starfleet as an aggressive force to this planet's legitimate government. We're going to scoop everybody up off the surface. We're going to fly back. Uh, Archers just in great spirits and perfect physical health trips like the fish that jumped out of the fish tank and fell on the sofa and is like dehydrated and it's like a little Pringle of a fish now. So they're nursing him back to life. And then uh, Archer's like, cool, thanks for saving me. See you later. They shake hands and roll credits. 
he has like this weird thought at the end of like, well, maybe we should have gotten involved, but we didn't. Goodbye. Yeah, the they cut off literally mid conversation. The good part of the plot, because it's like it was Trip and Archer in the bomb shelter being like, what do we do? Are you thinking about helping them? This is kind of weird, you know, and then it's like now it's a desert survival episode. It's like, what? Why? This was so good. (laughs) You were doing great. You were doing great, Enterprise. Why'd you stop? You could have cut the entire loss into the desert part out of there, had them actually escape and had a really good thinking piece up on the ship with different people lobbying different sides yeah. there. I don't know. There's a lot of great ways that they could have done this episode. Instead, they did it the worst way possible. Uh, this was a trash episode. Or even if you did the desert part just to incapacitate Archer from the conversation and leave to Paul and everyone else with that, like now they have to deal with it rather than like at least Archer, like he, he would probably, you know, he's the captain. He has a very clear sense of how they would operate. Now they can't, cleanly get away because they got to get Archer and Trip back, right? Mm-hmm. But now they got to deal with the situation and it's fucked up and they're flat-footed and they're trying to figure the way out of it. Like that was where they could have put more of the focus and instead it was just way on the back burner for the entire episode. It was like five or six minutes of the screen time in the back half of the episode was spent on that. And that was the mistake is that there just needed to be more of that there needed to be more to Paul, you know, with Reed and like Mayweather and everyone else. Like, okay, this is weird. What do we do? Okay. Like, there's no game plan for this. Flock's not in this at all, by the way. Yeah. I think it's the only episode this season he's just not appeared at all. They they foreshadowed that uh Clancy Brown had dealings with the Sulu Bond because that's the trinket that he gives Archer, right? And, and Archer kind of raises an eyebrow like, why does this guy know about Suluban? So I got really excited there once Clancy Brown's like, yeah, listen, man, you you did that fucking jailbreak over at the detention center. And I got so excited. I was like, man, like. There's been a few times back in Voyager specifically. God, what was the one with that dude from uh, Robocop? <laughs> Arturus. Yes. Right. Ray oh, yeah, Wise by was, the in, way, was in Robocop? You keep fucking acting surprised on this. He's one of Bodecker's goons, man. Like, Ray Wise is a huge part of Robocop. I keep forgetting he was in that movie. I, I know it's overshadowed by Twin Peaks, but yes. Um, <laughs> he, you know, hey, listen, here's, here's some fucking offhanded dumb shit we did, and uh, we're going to go back and we're going to basically validate the existence of this episode. These crazy things we did by making there be repercussions and and consequences down the road, something that might have seemed like a complete piece of garbage episode like detention, now all of a sudden have a a value, right? We're going back, we're re-examining this. It was shit we did. It wasn't maybe the right moves or maybe it was, but, you know, we're going to have to deal with this fallout. So I got real excited about this episode for about 15 seconds before it evolved into that that desert survival bullshit, but I don't know, man. I still, I still will defend it. I still think that overall this episode was trying to do the right things and just kind of ran into itself when it 
it decided it wanted to do some growing down with trip and archer and spent too much time on it but i don't think it takes away from the ideas that it did put down which is archer as a rep his actions have consequences people fucking know about enterprise it's not necessarily what he wants them to know and also is this a thread oh, they're going to continue i mean is this is this entry one into uh several adventures dealing with these concepts throughout the first two seasons it not so much in the third because that really is a pivot point where the focus of the show very much changes. But in the first two seasons, yeah, like this continuity threads of like Enterprise's adventures get known and it has consequences does continue to develop. And I think maybe because I have that context, that's why I, still, I like this episode more because I see the threads that are starting to develop there. I do also want to reach in real quick and, and critique to Paul's decision to go down and rescue Archer and on the ship, it's her and Reed. Like at that point now, like the top four people of enterprise command structure in a hostile orbit with people yeah. actively shooting them, like are on the surface. The, the <laughs> that's a lot of trust. That's Hoshi in charge at that point. Right? I think so. <laughs> Followed immediately by fucking Mayweather. <laughs> it's like you're leaving your most junior officers in charge of the ship a lot. Like a fucking lot, guys. <laughs> bad moves. So. You know what's not a bad move? Our next episode. We're moving into season one, episode 25. Two days and two nights. There. Oh, no, it's Reed and Trip again. Two people I don't want sharing scenes, episodes ever again. Archer Travis. <laughs> Travis, Malcolm, and Trip have decidedly different experiences during shore leave on Ryza. Meanwhile, on Enterprise, Phlox enters his annual hibernation cycle. Directed by Mike Dorn? Old Wharf, huh? I don't know if he's got a lot of directing credits here. I think this is his only Enterprise episode, actually. Yeah. He does a few DS9 because he was on that show, so it makes a lot of sense. But this is his only episode of Enterprise. Well, uh, let's see how they try to close this season out because it has not been kind the past few episodes here. Well, this one coming up, obviously, is a fun, you know, lighthearted, you know, uh, tension-breaking comedy episode before we get into the finale. So that's my kind of thing. It might not be your thing. We'll see. We'll see. Thanks for listening to Vija, please. We appreciate you, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>